to the Nursery Podcast. I'm sitting here in uh, sunny Athens. It is absolutely beautiful outside um, with uh, the Dornavir Perrys. I'm super self-conscious about the pronunciation. How did I do? <laughs> you, you did great. I did great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, for my part at least. For your part. <laughs> for the Perry part. That's the part, the part is part easy, part, isn't it? Yeah. Dornavir? Yeah, it's fun? really good. Yeah. Okay. yeah. okay. I didn't expect to get such thing. And, and Dornavir Perry is, of course, recently married. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, improvising partnership. You were improvising before you got together as a couple, and then you're continuing as a couple and basically improv power couple pretty much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we met through improv yeah as well so yeah it's a lot of improv in our lives it is yeah. a lot of improv yeah. in your lives how is it um like the change between improvising as a uh, not as a couple and improvising as a couple has that affected the way that you play together and now they look at each other and are kind of a who wants to go first yeah on this yeah <laughs> so um there is, there's, there are a few pictures of scenes we played in Canada where my character proposes to Gal's character. And I kind of forgotten about that until the picture popped up uh, on Facebook. And I was like, oh yeah. And my character didn't just uh, propose, but I remember this sort of like extra layer while I did it in character to go like, is this something you want to do? In gen- like we were already together, but I didn't know about the marriage thing. So oh, that's even weirder. So it's not like it's not playing or not playing a romantic relationship. It's playing a possible future stage of an existing yeah. romantic relationship. Yes. that's complex. Yeah, and we also had even though our first show is basically the story of a couple. So before we got together, right? Uh, which is the first format we performed here in Athens two years ago, um, and and it was. A show about uh, the about a couple and mm. and the past of that couple. So so yeah, we also had this switch between playing that show without being in a relationship and playing that show while being in that in that relationship. Yeah, so and I can that. I later after um, that show had been I saw the recording of it and I'm like oh my god I'm not hiding my attraction at all <laughs> I'm like totally checking him out on stage <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny because obviously Heather and I um, had the same situation as the two of you we were, we were performing together and performing a love themed show before we got together um, and we found that after we after we had got together it became almost more difficult to perform love scenes because it feels like I don't know if you have this expression in, 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 um, in either of your languages, but we say washing your dirty laundry in public. Mm-hmm. So like everyone can, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It yeah. feels, it, it feel, in a way, it feels weirder now to have a kiss or something intimate on stage than it did before we, mm. uh, yeah. before we get together. But I don't know if, if you had any of that. I don't feel like it's weirder, but we also uh, played less of the first show we played together and we have now... A second format that is uh, way more, uh, it's, a, it's a Pixar love story, mm-hmm. so we are playing objects and stuff and I think it also gets further from uh, real life because we are basically playing a love story between a cactus and a balloon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll watch that video, us. I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll stick it in the link at the bottom of this, uh, bottom of this podcast, you can check it out on YouTube there. Yeah, and I think there was, a cert- there was so much tension in that first show that the first time like we touch or or we kiss there's like pew, pew, fireworks <laughs> and uh, 
I can definitely see how now our characters are like, la 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 la, shwink, kiss. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's slightly less um, exciting, scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me about uh, a Pixar themed show. How does that work? What do you, what do you draw from Pixar? How does that filter into the work? Mm, so we were in Canada when uh, they asked us to do a preview of our show. So our couple themed show mm -hmm. and we didn't want to do like a mini version of that show because we thought well we cannot tell that story in 10 minutes mm -hmm. so let's do something else what do we both like and then we were like oh uh, so I play in a different group a Pixar inspired show Gail is a super physical player uh, we still liked to have the topic of love come back so it was sort of like this this idea of oh let's play the impossible love a uh, story of two objects. Yeah, it was like the idea of playing a rom-com with that physical aspect of of playing objects instead of, instead of playing humans. And then we came out with that, like having one object and asking for the for another object that has an impossible love with that first object. Right, the balloon and the cactus. Like, that's, that's, yeah. That is love that is suicide, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so the very first one we had was a tea, cut, tea kettle and chocolates. <laughs> so that was our first uh, very first and then we had a few uh, very cool a, a pencil and an eraser uh, <laughs> oh, that's interesting because the pencil and the eraser isn't necessarily suicide it's just there's a kind of rhythm like you you write yeah. and you erase you yeah. write and you erase it's really lovely yeah and it's uh, we find we discover all these new things through playing objects mm. um, it's really a show that keeps inspiring us as players um, where we uh, th the telling of a love story seems to have all these different layers because an object has different goals and different wishes and what is is the goal of a pencil to be completely done at some point mm -hmm. or oh, not. Right, because at yeah. a certain point a pencil has to be thrown away if it's been used. So, yeah. oh, there's a lovely symbolism to that, isn't it? And I guess um, with an eraser as well, when you, if you've used it a lot, then that disappears. It's gone. Well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there are all these really, and I think Pixar does that really well, and we try our very best to improvise the same depth that Pixar finds in mm, their yeah. objects and animals and other characters. To play the, the, the situation but treat this the feelings with respect. I think that's that's something we try to emphasize a little bit. Uh, maybe Yeah, because I guess when you when you're playing an object, when you're playing an animal, actually this is this is not this is me making an assumption and people may not always agree, but you're you're creating a story which is about humans but using the object or the animal as a tool to access that stuff right yeah yeah, yeah. and then again um, respect what we know about the object mm. so like what how would a tea kettle and a piece of chocolate embrace no if they embrace like that what happened in the show was they melted into each other oh lovely and Afterwards, we were like, oh my god, we didn't even see that coming <laughs> because we're so yeah. the character. And, uh, and we have a lot of people like coming after show, like being tearing up and be like, when you started, I didn't think I could feel for that sandpaper. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's just really nice to get in their hearts by a different way. They're not like, they're not shields up. Yeah, so, so and, I, and I think with people uh, with 
we see so many human love stories that you you do have shields up a little bit, you do have cynicism, you do have expectations of how a rom-com's going to go. And there's some, I guess when you're saying Pixar-influenced, uh, you're talking a lot about the short, um, the Pixar shorts, because they will be the same length as you said the show is 10 minutes generally? Or? No, 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 no. The first, uh, the first tryout oh, was 10 minutes. Oh, the first one, right. But uh, we've done up to 50. Uh, so it's a full-length mm-hmm. show. Uh, the, the good thing with the rom-com is that if we simplify the story beats, we can go down to like 30 or even 25 minutes mm-hmm. CD. But I would say the ideal length is like 50, 50 minutes show. Yeah. Okay. And, and if someone wanted to influence a rom-com, <laughs> this is funny, it's the uh, first night, second night of the festival? First night of performances at the festival tonight, and Heather and I are doing our, um, uh, our love theme show this evening. Uh, I'm going to get some cheap coaching off you. What are the essential beats of an improvised rom-com? What do we, what do we need to put in there in order to make it feel like that is the, the right thing going on? Um, it's interesting because I, I myself find that if I think about the beats too much, I will go straight into like, now this thing, now this thing, now yeah, this thing. Yeah, kind of mechanical version. So it, yeah. yeah, so I, I definitely try to play more from uh, the truth of the character. Mm-hmm. Then to try to hit the beats. We I think the few I th- things I think the things we try to respect, at least the first thing we try yeah. to respect is to start separate. So to have a first exposition scene with one of the character. Uh, so one of us is scene painting the surrounding of the character and have this first scene, first beat, and then a second exposition scene separate from that with a second main character, maybe a second uh, um, sidekick and a little uh, scene painting and stuff like that. So this is this, the beginning mm-hmm. and that we try to respect, <laughs> except sometimes when I don't understand well the name of the <laughs> second object. <laughs> um, I think actually like, cause we did have like, uh, one misunderstanding on stage uh, where yeah where where we had a misunderstanding of the word the exact word and then we but we didn't play that we just played I guess just different characters than what we were planning to and then um, so we got a pencil and an eraser and Gal heard a pencil and a razor Ah, so like face yeah. shaving, yeah. 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 Uh. So in the first scene, I start playing a pencil, and Gal plays the eraser, and I'm like, oh, already? Interesting. Anyway. Oh plus, right. So but, you took it as just an was, offer based on the yeah, pencil. Yeah, just like on the Logical, pencil was yeah. like a good friend of a pencil. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, this makes sense because we just got a suggestion. Second scene, like there is something with with metal and sharp, and I'm. I'm looking at him like, I, I don't know where you're going at. So I made him a pair of scissors and, <laughs> and I played a, a sheet of paper and we went from there. And then, you know, our, the love story of the pencil and eraser turned out to have a villain, which, were, uh, which was the pair of scissors. Right. And so it became a different story with different, kind of different beats, but still platform, different worlds where we can move to. At the beginning, things are fine. Something happens, and at the end, often things are fine in a different way. Mm. So that's sort of like it's, so fine it's kind or of like, at least bittersweet. 
Once upon a time, unfortunately, fortunately, that kind of yeah. kind of kind of structure. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's really interesting. Like you, I'm, uh, I'm pointing at Laura now. Um, uh, I'm a pretty instinctive player, and I don't like to think about story beats too much. But I, I think it's interesting with an audience who are, as people tend to be nowadays, incredibly story aware and incredibly genre aware that you, you sort of have to be aware of those beats. You have to be able to create something which satisfies an audience, but also that's not necessarily as fun for an improviser yeah. because you don't get to just do whatever you want, which is kind of the attraction of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the good thing is that because we are both pretty instinctive mm. and uh, body-driven, mm -hmm. we tend to surprise each other and keep discovering things while playing. I mean, we don't have any plans and beats to mm. hit. We know we start with a platform, we know we probably end with something at least sweet, even if it means the death of one of the two main characters, mm -hmm. um, but at least a happy death. <laughs> uh, and Wait, hang on a second. What the hell is a happy death? The balloon, the balloon. Uh, oh, right, deflating okay. in the arms of the cactus. Yeah, yeah, dying in the arms of one you love. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, we also had two broken uh, characters. We had a sandpaper and an umbrella, mm -hmm. and the two got very broken at the end, and they were just happy to be broken together. It's also <laughs> like kind of bittersweet uh, feeling. Yeah. But except for those two extremes, the beginning and the end, in, in between, we know at some point we will be together. Maybe if it's long, we will probably have problems and not mm -hmm. be together immediately. But what is the, the form of that problem? We don't, we don't really know. And I think that, that is a very... That's a clear enough guideline for an improvised... There are some loud birds outside. Yeah. It's, it really is beautiful in Athens, everyone. You should come here. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that is a satisfying enough shape of a story for many improvised narratives. That you, you start off with something which you establish so you can use it. You finish with a sense of reflection at the beginning, and then in the middle, some stuff happens. Yeah. And it can sort of be whatever you want, right? Yeah, and I think uh, we, from the beginning, we trusted each other a lot that if one of us stops pursuing the story forward, the other can like do it by themselves if needed. Mm -hmm. And because I have that feeling, I can just sometimes, like, he will want to continue the story, and I'll just, like, be in this scene for a little, just poke him, like, yeah. in to be in this moment, and vice versa, where I'm like, all right, now this will happen, that will happen. He will just, like, play the cactus and do a little dance, and that's all that happens in that scene. And I think we both need that to also have someone go, like, yeah, yeah, story, but also let's have fun while yeah. we tell it. You've got, to, you've got to make sure that you smell the roses along the way. And I think that particularly... I mean, it definitely happens with uh, duo shows or two-prof shows, and particularly when people are best friends or in a relationship or spend a huge amount of time together as well as, um, as doing the show, that you see them fucking with each other in a really loving way, and you <laughs> see the, like, the poke on stage, you see yeah. the little, what, what the hell are you doing moments? I think that's really delightful. Yes. Uh, delightful to watch. Okay, what do you, so I'm going to ask that question. What do you do to each other to give them a little poke? What do you do to each other to, to piss each other off in a positive way? <laughs> on stage. I'm talking about on stage. You've not been married long enough for me to ask that question in real life. Yes, less than a week as we're recording this, isn't yes, it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're super newlyweds. Yeah. 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 
Uh, I I think I'd, I sometimes like literally poke you. Like, like physically, yeah, yes. yeah, true. Yeah, I would say you hit me. <laughs> That's the word I would use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will, I will, physically, sort of like, yeah. I think yeah. that's like what I'll do. Yeah. Deliberately, physically intrude into his place. Yes. You said you're both very physical players. Yeah. So I guess that that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I think for me, I would like bring a million characters. Oh, like, you know the other thing you do, like. I was the um, umbrella and I shot you as a character. I forgot which character it was. Oh, the... Anyway, one of us was a stick, the other was an umbrella. I don't know. Yeah. I think it was a stick. And I, I shot you through the open window. And every time I shot you, you landed up somewhere else. So you never got through the window. And like we went back over that stage all the way to the back. I launched him again and he hit something and we had to do it again. And I remember thinking, come on, let's get the story moving. Yeah. I'm extending a very small moment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And that I think, well, so with the, with the, the, the Maydays, which is um, other company that I perform with, form narrative with regularly. I, I don't think 10,000 Million Love Stories is really a narrative show, but um, we often say that the show feels best when it feels like the adults didn't arrive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the adults yeah. didn't turn up today, all the, all the, all the grown-ups in the company. And there aren't grown-ups in the company. There aren't those people who are really wanting to do hard story. It's just the role and the attitude that people are bringing on that particular day. Yeah. Oh, throwing a stick against the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask a little bit about, um, about language, because you, you talked about the, uh, the misunderstanding of a razor and eraser. Um, you, French is your first language? Yeah. Dutch is your first language? Yeah. And I'm guessing that you have a few other languages between the two of you. English, obviously. Yes. Maybe some German? German, more on my side than on his. No! <laughs> hard shaking his no. head. I've studied German for 15 years, and it's a fail. <laughs> it's a fail, okay. It's like a total fail. Mm, okay. So, no. I'm it's starting from. Yeah, I'm better now in Dutch than in German. It's not. I mean, Dutch is a really easy language. It's much if you know German. It, yes, that's true. And if you don't know German, but it's or, very weird. Also, if you know English, because a lot yeah, of uh, English structures and words can be closely translated yeah. into Dutch. So yeah, it's much harder from a Latin language. Um, so you generally play in English when you play shows together. Yes. Um, but you also travel to a lot of different places and kind of fit into other shows. I just wanted, if you want to talk about kind of the experience of. Uh, improvising in different languages and how that all whether that feels comfortable and how you make yourself feel comfortable i've only improvised not in english a couple of times and it wasn't easy and i didn't like my improv oh yeah very much (laughs) it's different improv yeah right yeah definitely i i remember so i now speak english on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and it becomes it has become a language that is very close to my heart to my my relationship. So you speak English as your kind of primary yeah. relationship yeah. language. Yes. Yeah. Sounds really formal, but yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. We decided on that. Yes. Okay. Um, but when I started uh, improvising in English for the first time, uh, it was basically like high school level mm-hmm. second language. So I definitely remember uh, searching for words and uh, how sometimes you can't find the word, the alternative word, and all the words that sound like it or look like it, mm. and then you just say something completely different, taking the scene to a different place. Right. And at first, that 
annoyed me and then later I was like oh no this is great it's a gift yeah yeah I keep surprising myself because instead of going around this thing or maybe that thing and then I found myself saying I love you in a scene that wasn't about that but now it's about that <laughs> yeah right um, and I can have that feeling a little bit with German and I'm uh, slowly learning French now um, and Apparently, I'm very funny in both German and French because I make all these ridiculous mistakes, uh, which is, uh, it's great. That's great to be pushed to fail. Mm. Um, and I think there's an interesting interaction because an interaction between the language ability and the improvisation ability because language is something with a very black and white sense of success or failure. Either you put the verb in the correct place in the sentence or finish it correctly in French, or you don't. And there's no moderation. I mean, English is a little more flexible than, than French and a lot more flexible than German. But still, there, you make mistakes yeah. or you don't make mistakes. Whereas with improv, what's a mistake? What the hell yeah, does it mean? Yeah, what I think is like, at, at least from my perspective, when I started playing in English, it was a little bit the same. I was like, high school level, mm -hmm. not bad at high school, but that's it. And uh, nowadays, it's my main language. Mm -hmm. I improvise and I teach more in English than in French really? nowadays. Yeah, because I'm traveling more than I'm, I'm in France. Uh, my, my relationship is in English, so most of my life is in English. Right. And, um, and, but when I started, what I also discovered is like, it's a very good way to develop other ways to communicate. So mm -hmm. communication is not only about the words you say, uh, some studies are like it's approximately 15% words and 85% of the rest yeah uh, the intonation the what's what's your body is telling etc etc and I, I was think intrigued because that, that that number about the amount of communication which is nonverbal I'm how do they test like that? How do you... Oh, I actually know. Oh, you actually know. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm yeah, sorry to interrupt. Because, but anyway, sorry, it got debunked a little bit because basically the only way they tested it is uh, if the uh, body language or intonation or any of the other nonverbal things doesn't align, is not um, coherent with the words you say, right. how often are the words heard or understood? Right. So if I say I like you, but my intonation or my body language says something else, it, I think it's only in 7% of the cases people actually think you said I like you. Okay. So anyway, that's the thing I yeah. read about it. <laughs> but, I, but I think the... the uh, I always thought the idea of having statistics around that stand is strange, but I think the, the point stands yeah, that all the, the, the other the, methods of communication are still super Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I, uh, uh, I, cannot, I definitely cannot perform the same way in English and in French, mm. and there is no better or worse way. I don't, I, I don't think that. It just mm. like leads me toward different things. Uh, uh, even if I'm pretty physical in French too, but it's like I'm definitely more verbal mm -hmm. and uh, I will in English express things differently because language is also shaping this state of mind mm -hmm. you're in, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in life and, and on stage it also shows. So, so yeah, it would just lead me toward different stories, different things, different characters, different situations. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's for me at least it was never felt as restrictive exception made of uh, mixer shows where all your fellow players are standing and chatting <laughs> ah the uh, and the american slash english mixer show <laughs> yes. where we sit on chairs and do clever ideas exactly <laughs> that that one is i mean I, I 
that can end up very well if if those are also players that can listen to other things that the words. Mm. Uh, but it sometimes ends up by having native speakers correcting me on my English on stage Whoa. and making the scene about it. It it happened not that much, but it already happened. And those are the very small exceptions where I'm like. I got. Yeah. Let's do the same in French. <laughs> I would not be cool with that in no, the no. slightest. Wow. Yeah, but it's it's the thing where if uh, your fellow native English speaker would stumble over their words or by accident mispronounce something, you would jump on that. Yeah, you might. You just lampshade that and make that the scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then but when you do that with a non-native speaker like that, then well, and it like puts a spotlight on. Mm -hmm. Uh, the language thing and how you're different and lesser a little bit. Mm. Uh, so it really depends on the type of player. But I, after a while, was also like, let's not make the scene about that. Yeah. It's just like, pl let's speak the same improv language of accepting. So what, what would your advice be uh, to an English native speaker playing in a mixer team with non-English native speakers. I'm having to phrase this so carefully. Yeah, There's so no, many yeah. words. Yes. <laughs> yeah, what, what would your advice be on how to make people feel uh, accepted and looked after in that context? Because it happens to me all the time. I'm, I'm always very, very conscious. Um, that you guys know Miko, right? Miko Pugliari is yeah, from, from, yeah. from Milan? Yes, Milan. Yeah. Um, and he will frequently say, it's not true, but he will frequently say, I don't speak English. Like we'll frequently say this in the middle of a long conversation in English, but his English is good, but it's not great. Um, and he's, I've seen him be the funniest person on stage in a multilingual show because he's probably the funniest person I've ever met. Yes. And I've seen him be essentially shut out because the other players on stage didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah. Um, because you know he's he's a character. He's a very physical player. He's a weirdo in the best possible way. Yes. Yeah. What would your What would your advice be? So um, players playing with non-native speakers. Keep in mind the statistic of what is communication, whatever the numbers are, mm -hmm. the, the idea of it. So if somebody is playing with you and is not immediately responding with words, it doesn't mean that they didn't hear slash understand slash they don't have any ideas. And it doesn't mean they need saving. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we can have more than half a second of silence in a scene. Because when we play in a second language, we will tend to have more silence yeah. also. So we don't need to, to like fill those gaps because the person who will feeling, who will be filling this gap will be a native speaker right. in general. Yeah. Uh, and so it leads to this like unbalance and the more it's filled, the less the second native, uh, second language speaker will will feel secure and safe to explore also, I think. Well, yeah. that, that's actually really, that's great improv advice. I, as I'm hearing it, I'm realizing that's great for all contexts. <laughs> people talk faster and think faster or think slower, and there's lots of different um, neurodiversity reasons why you might be slower or faster. And, yeah, yeah, just giving each other space. So, for instance, uh, if you would let a non-native speaker start a scene, that they can also, like, get, or just join them but let them initiate mm. i think uh there's a lot of like yeah giving room giving space giving a voice uh, maybe if they start uh in gibberish or if they start in silence there are all these different things they can offer if you give other types of players including non-native speakers space mm. um this is also great 
general improv oh, advice. I'm, I'm realizing my question was stupid, and I apologize. No, but you're no, also something great. Yeah, no, and uh, actually, like when we travel, like we will often say something along the lines of, "Yes, now in the green room." Uh, we speak English and we seem fluent and that's tricky because you're going to forget that we're non-native speakers on stage. Right. So we will repeat it again before we go yeah. on stage. Uh, and I think there is a second thing. So there is not... So talking is very dominant over all the other things. So maybe talking is something to sort of like tone it a little bit down and give more space to all the other things. Yeah. And then th another thing to realize is that... Um, a lot of native English speakers have uh, uh, social cultural references mm -hmm. that uh, yeah. oh yeah that's yeah, huge pop culture it? references yeah. that are very specific and that uh, whoever shares the same culture a lot of the times same native speakers will jump on it and build upon that that like you exclude everyone who did not grow up with that particular series or the knowledge of all the Beastie Boys albums, or like, I don't know, like there are all these things. If someone grew up without the Beastie Boys <laughs> album, I feel really sorry for them. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's a real shame. Right. Spread the word in a green room, but on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I think, again, again, that's definitely true of uh, nation to nation. It's also true of age and yeah. uh, cultural, um, uh, different cultures inside a nation. I remember... Um, you know, for, for me, like Star Wars is a hugely important part of my mm -hmm. film life. I love Star Wars. I think the new Star Wars is great, um, and I'll fight anyone who says differently. But I had I remember having a conversation. I, I won't um, name the improviser, but an improviser, European improviser, um, saying like he hadn't even heard of those films until he was, uh, I think, in his late teens, and he still hadn't seen them at this point, and he was best part forty at this point. And to me. I and mean, it sounds so obvious now, this was five, six years ago, the idea that it was possible to reach that age without having seen those films. Yeah. And to not, and you know, Luke, I am your father. Oh, that's from Star Wars, is it? He said. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand, uh, it's funny and delightful, but on the other hand, it's impossible. I couldn't have lived my life. Yeah. It wouldn't have been possible to get through all the experiences of my life and get to that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Reference is so interesting because it's also so delightful to take a point of reference or a series and escalate it and play with it and use it. But yeah, yeah. if you're all on the same page, it's awesome. Right. Yeah, um, and it's and it's funny exactly what you're saying. You think what you know is the normal, mm. which again yeah. that goes for a lot of areas in life. But yeah, you don't right. know what you think is normal. Yeah, uh, until you're somewhere else. You don't understand the idea of culture until you've experienced a culture outside your own, yeah. and then you realize the glasses you've been wearing your whole life. Yeah, and yeah. It's, and it's also like adjusting to who or who is around you. Like, I remember a festival not not a long time ago with a uh, British group that came uh, playing, and the show was probably good, but they were speaking so fast mm. and so slang and lazy uh, English that it was impossible for the crowd to understand it because it mm. was an international festival. So everybody is speaking English, but everybody is speaking broken English. Right. And everybody is speaking kind of this mixed international crappy uh, English that we find each other with. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but... I think crappy <laughs> is unfair, but... <laughs> Okay-ish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, alternative English. Alternative English. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's like 
not even realizing that it this that it doesn't click because people cannot understand that mm. can, people cannot bridge jump in that boat with them because they do not understand what is happening mm. it's going like either too fast or too slang or too reference based or to whatever mm. but there is like 200 people in that room that are lost and uh, and that's valid for the audience which also means that it will be valid for players on stage mm. if they are with it and I, I joined what you said it's valid also within any type of players like we were talking about dominant I like using the biological term dominant and recessive uh-huh, I like genes, uh, yeah. and and like But definitely physical visual skills or recessive skills mm. that can exist only if the dominant skills are letting space for that because um, we've all seen the scene where uh, an English native speaker and a non-native speaker player both initiate the in, the native speaker verbally and the non-native speaker physically and the physical offer gets essentially deleted from the scene because the person giving the verbal offer hasn't noticed that it's happening and yeah. just keeps But it Go happens on. also with like two, like two French people speak like playing an English show. It yeah. also yeah, yeah, happens yeah, yeah. definitely. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the things we find in each other. It's like we're both very recessive, skilled players. <laughs> we both have like this this package of skills that are valuable just, only if somebody that takes care. Laura is miming a heart. As, as <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is an auditory medium, so I have to add it. I'm sorry, carry <laughs> So yeah, that's also that's also why it's so delightful to play with Laura for me. It's because mm. I have space to do my stuff on stage mm. because she's seeing that. I'm checking you out, baby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So this, I, I think this uh, sort of obviously leads to uh, to another thing I want to talk about, which is the uh, the European. Uh, improv networks, which are both part of uh, Hana in, in Laura's case, and and the Sin Network is that S I N as in yeah. yes, um, yeah. which I just heard of uh, today. Um, they are both networks where you have one or two people from each country mm. coming together. Is that correct? Yes. So I guess you're you're constantly in this space of recessive and dominant skills, and mm. how much of the point of reference do we share? Yeah. Because like Dutch and English, we share a lot of references. France and Italy, you share some references less than Dutch and English, like, yeah. and I'm sure that the former Baltic states have a set of references which we don't have. And how do you navigate that stuff, or how does that operate in those kind of environments? Because they're both quite big. Well, I know. Yeah, Ohana is yeah. uh, fairly big. I think uh, approximately 40 to 45 members, of which uh, a selection of 20 to 25 meets three times a year, mm-hmm. but never the same selection of those 45. Right. Um, And uh, it's going for six years now, and I'm uh, there since the start. Uh, and I think I've learned a lot of like, yeah, seeing all these different people from different uh, countries, how they improvise, what they bring. Um, and I think that is, I, I keep being reminded three times a year <laughs> of how we don't see the same TV shows, mm. um, but we sometimes do have the same, like romantic comedies, that's getting pretty widespread, right? So that's, but then recently our, one of our Swedish uh, improvisers brought a Berkman-inspired genre 
um, to our group, and we were like, wow. Berg who? And he's like, oh my god, I can't believe you didn't know Bergman. And it was great how he brought something that was so different from all the genres that we have. So I think both is true. You, we find out how we're the same, and we find out how we're different. Mm. I, I think that's a very, um, a very interesting question of the GII, which is the Global Improvisation Initiative Symposium a few weeks ago about whether improv has an innate morality to it. Um, uh, I am very firmly in the area of, I think, yes. I think it absolutely does. And it's exactly what you're talking about, that it, um, it, allows, it allows and celebrates both the similarities and the differences without mm. prioritizing either. And I find that's a really, particularly in the days of Brexit, thank you for not mentioning that at this, up to this point. I would, I would <laughs> We'll We'll just leave that slide. But I think, particularly in the days of rising uh, nationalism and sort of strongman leaders, that I think it's a really important thing. I think it's really beautiful what Ahana does. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. and for this sin, it's uh, it's a younger network. We exist for like almost two years now. I'm also there from from the start. And we are uh, um, now 15. And we also decided to keep it small, Mm -hmm. so to keep it up to 16 maximum. Because we want to reach something that involves more connection between two specific people. So we have now, I think, 14 different countries in it um, that are represented. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, 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 the people we try to reach, so people cannot apply, we are, we're like inviting them. Mm-hmm. And the people we try to reach uh, are mainly organizers and active in their own community. Mm-hmm to have this also layer of sharing what it is to be an organizer, what it is to be a, a hard worker in the shadow in, in mm-hmm. your own community. Um, so uh, the differences are really interesting also in that aspect to, to be like, oh, what is the culture bringing? How can we learn from each other? Keeping in mind that uh, running a group in Finland is not the same as running a group in, in Madrid, right. for instance. Yeah. Um, and, and definitely the, the like seeing each other on a regular basis and and sharing with each other even if we are not together physically is is very very rich for us it really brings a lot uh, a lot of uh, of inspiration a lot of different cultures a lot of different ideas a lot of different point of views sharing also all that we have like this little thing that we call 10 minute topic mm-hmm. which is like at every meeting we can bring a topic and we have a slot a slot of exactly 10 minutes to talk about it as much as we can and then we cut it and we go to a different topic mm-hmm. and we've realized that how how rich that is because we all have different priorities in what type of topic we bring but we also share the passion of oh yeah that's such a great topic I mm-hmm. would have think about it but it's so interesting to get in uh, so definitely it's it's very very rich that's one I can of recommend my it. start yeah. your own European group yeah definitely. <laughs> or worldwide group but Europe has this awesome thing of where all the countries are fairly close together mm-hmm. yes so uh, while we traveled in North America people hearing about those networks were like great if only I could and I'm like oh yeah I mean you could but it takes so much more effort to put um, different improvisers from different places in America together. Mm. Same goes for Australia. We went to Singapore and like 
it's it's really awesome that Europe is so close together and, and so well so well connected in a way which doesn't necessarily require endless flights yeah you know yeah. The, I, I really think that a huge amount of uh, cultural difference in America and, 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 and Europe is created by just the lack of trains you know we have we have good trains in Europe and we can get a lot of places yes. just by train and you can't in North America. And then we get yeah. to such different places. Right. Like uh, the difference between Latvia and, and, I don't know, Scotland. Like everything is so different on a very uh, small, small area. So mm. I feel super inspired every time I go to different places and I can see how the Finnish tend to like look kind of dark but then can be very in their own way intense and then the spanish and the portuguese are all like they're touching themselves each other that's all warm and hot and but and i feel already super inspired seeing diff so those different yeah. types of improv in, in a way it's sort of it, it, i mean i guess maybe that's part of the the point of, of organizations like those two i'm also thinking about our lives which is one which i had um, quite a lot of contact with because obviously heather was a the, uh, was the English representative despite being Scottish um, but <laughs> don't tell anyone in a way the kind of the cultural difference between the different performers or the stylistic difference between the performers becomes its own point you don't yeah. you almost don't need and I know with our lives a lot of the uh, you know it's the reason why it's called our lives a lot of the content was created by the difference in the similarity and they did a lot of the yeah. Rainbow of Desire or Gustav Boal stuff of just expressing that stuff and saying alright what's in the room now how do we improvise from there? Um, which I find it's just so fascinating. All right, I'm going to start an. <laughs> I'll start an international improv network. Um, we should wrap up because we have to go and do shows this evening. But I have one final question, which I'd like to ask each of you in turn, um, which I ask at the end of every podcast with everyone I interview, which is, what are you working on in your improv right now? Either what is frustrating you and you've got to get it solved, or what's inspiring you and you want to do 300 units of it as often as you can. That made no sense, but. Hopefully you see what I mean. Um, my current um, topic of work is like I developed a format that I direct that is a Miyazaki show, mm -hmm. Miyazaki inspired uh, play. Is Miyazaki uh, um, one of the? He's a director, right? He's a director of uh, Japanese animes. Is he from uh, the studio, studio uh, Ghibli? Ghibli? Yeah. Ghibli? I yeah. never know how to pronounce. Yes. Yeah. Ghibli. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I developed that, that format and I'm teaching an intensive in July and for that intensive I want to develop, I, I, I had this idea of making something more poetic, uh, how to bring poet, poesy, poetry in, mm -hmm. in that format and so I did a tryout uh, two weeks ago with improvised shadow play. Um, so to give shadow plays to the improvisers and make them try that in a little uh, light theater and uh, make give them paper and scissors to make their own things and um, and I really want to work on how to bring more poetry in my, in my improv in the improv I perform in the improv I direct um, because uh, I think we have a lot of comedy but mm. not a lot of poetic improv uh, and that's that's something I would love to work on lovely thank you very much Laura what a are you originally louder? Or yeah, yeah, that's like, so uh, basically all languages will pronounce Laura except for the English. Except for English, yeah. <laughs> so that's full circle back here. <laughs> uh, but I listen to both. Right. Um, yeah, I think 
there, there are two things that come to mind. One is uh, I'm recently inspired by the topic of death. Wow. Um, and especially because I love positive, optimistic improv. I love, uh, I've, I've, the last few years I've explored love and sex in depth a little bit more. And then sex is so interesting because everyone does it, no one talks about it. Mm -hmm. And I realized death is the same. Mm -hmm. Like death is, is everywhere in our life, but we barely talk about it. So I find that for that reason, super interesting. So I've been teaching a few workshops where I tried out what can we do with the topic of death. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is that I'm in the process of thinking how I can empower and teach people to teach. Because I think there are, there are some uh, train the trainers type of things, but it's pretty male dominated. And I think that... Uh, Imagine. You're right. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, and I think it's really awesome to empower people that if they want to share something, uh, how do you teach? How can you find your own style of teaching? You don't have to be the teacher that knows it all, wrote a book, and then quotes the book in their workshops. Uh, I think it can be really cool to be circling back also to the dominant and recessive skills can you be a more facilitating teacher and trainer? And can you facilitate that people explore improv? Because that's also what I believe in. I believe more in uh, making people explore things in improv uh, and try out things and discover things than to tell them this is how you should do it. Right. Because it's so much more owned uh, when you discover something for yourself than have it lectured uh, lecture to you. Yeah, like I, I started to tell my students if any teacher ever tells you this, the truth, they're lying, including myself. Yeah, including <laughs> me, yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, one last thing we're both working on pretty hard now is uh, our project of traveling next year. Of course, you're going away for a whole year, right? Yes. And you're just traveling based on improv. Uh, how's that going to work? Give me the, give me the headlines. Uh, basically, we're going on that world tour, so we called it the, the honeymoon tour, because, of course, <laughs> uh, because why not? And, um, and so we're starting end of August mm -hmm. uh, for a full year uh, with a few months of Europe. Uh, so before New Year's Eve, it will be mainly Europe, Scandinavia, the UK, Germany, probably Spain and Portugal. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, traveling a little bit. Also Vancouver, Vancouver, Europe. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. famous old Vancouver, as we call it. Um, and then from January on, um, uh, traveling eastward to round the circle. So mm -hmm. we already have some few stops. Uh, Turkey, Israel, India, Singapore, probably Japan, Australia, New Zealand and South America. But South America, we're talking like May, June, July, 2020. So that's um, over a year from now. Who knows what's going to be happening in a year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, because we do a lot of traveling. So we basically decided let's connect all our travels together and just pause our courses and our normal weekly mm -hmm. things to allow actual for further travel. And more inspiration from uh, different parts of the world. Yeah. 
So, well, no, maybe we'll be different people in a year. Who knows? If you don't come back different people, then you did it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's pretty fundamental. Uh, Gail, Laura, Dornavir, Perry, thank you so much for your time. Um, Any uh, social media or websites or where can people look you up if they would like to follow you? Are you going to be blogging your travels or any of that kind of stuff? Yes. Twitterama, any of that stuff? Yeah, we'll be doing all that. Yes. Uh, Yeah, we, uh, I think our... I am definitely on all the socials yeah. on a, with my name. Um, and you'll and find the name which to an English ear, to an yes. English eye, some very funny spelling. That's obviously in the title of the podcast you can find. Yes. Uh, and we each have a website that will also, yeah. which is our name. Our name. Dot com. Dot com. <laughs> yes. And that'll all be in the description of the of the podcast. Thank yeah. you very much indeed. And let's let's go do the rest of the festival. Woohoo! Yeah. Hey. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.